Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, hey welcome. Here we are. Woo-hoo. Yes. Hi. Because we're back and we have a, a fantastic guest today, a Bram Stoker Award winner. Ew. Cynthia cannot wait to turn her around. <laughs> I know, right? We only have all the best people on our podcast, as you know. Only. But we, we, we did a solo one last time on how to basically take feedback without losing your way. And that was a really fun conversation. But this week, honey, would you like to talk a little bit about, I don't know, what's going on? Bring it. So, oh, drum well, roll. What I would say. Some good news in the past couple of days. Well, allow me to say this in my own way. Uh, what sorry. we did last week talking about notes was partially at least to give me an opportunity to gain some perspective because I knew that notes were coming. I mean, I've been working all right after we did the, the writer's room last year, I immediately went into working on a Star Wars novel. And then we were working on other things at the same time. But the Star Wars novel has dominated. And it was nerve-wracking because the process that I chose to work on it was was not a matter of you know finishing finishing a page, polishing it, and then moving on to the next page. It was more like right through the entire book as a script. Does this work? Then turn the script into a book, however clumsy. Does that work? Then start polishing it while. And when you do it that way, it's like you're developing a piece of film and the whole thing is coming up at the same time. And it's a scary process because it doesn't look like anything for a long time. You know, it's just like, you know, it, it, it looks like garbage, you know, for a long time. And then suddenly one or two sentences will start to pop. And then a couple paragraphs here and there start to pop. And then from time to time, I'll look at pages and I'll say, you know, I've got something interesting on almost every page. When I get to that point, what I like to do is to be able to open a book and drop my finger on any paragraph and there's something elegant in that paragraph. There's something in that paragraph. So I knew that I had a deadline in the sense that the book was due on like the 10th of January. 
And so I knew that the book was not completely finished, but that you had advised me to get the first 50 pages and the last 50 pages in the best shape I could, which I did, and then polishing other things. And I was using Google Google Speech or actually Speechify to read through the text using different voices and every different voice made the text sound a little different so I could see different things in there and turned it in. Had to wait for two weeks, but I finally heard back from the editor and she said she loves the book and she thought that the pacing and structure were exquisite can't wait for the fans to read it you know there and then she gave me some notes and i have those notes i'll have a conversation with her tomorrow but i i know that i can do this you know i know that that i will print this you got it baby and i will i will do the same process of looking at the easy fixes first the low-hanging fruit i'll fix those things and if i do that then the harder fixes and there's nothing in this too hard the harder fixes will have a chance to to percolate in the back of my head so that if I handle the low-hanging fruit today, when I look tomorrow, things that used to look medium difficulty now look easy and things that looked look like hard now look like medium difficulty. So it's I know that if I just do the work, if I just trust the process, that the process I've got is working just fine. And it's actually a slightly different process that I've used than I've used before. And it points the way towards ways to do more efficient and effective work with less stress and having more fun. So everything is Isn't good. That, I mean, I'm hoping that, that, that the fans that is, are going to love this. Of course they will. And you said a mouthful that they are having fun, eliminating the stress. I, you know, we hit send on a short comic collaboration that we whipped together for an anthology called Shook. And I just kept thinking as I was working on this thing, how much easier it was after going through an editing process with the great Pornsack Pichet Shout out to Pornsack for another comic project, which is a bit longer. And I'll talk about sometime soon when that's about to drop. But the learning, its the, that's the thing I love about cross-medium writing. I just geek out about learning tricks and tips for writing screenplays. I geek out on learning like oh my god i can i can use thoughts in comics thought bubbles are a thing or whatever it's just like i love learning all the things all the ways and just a reminder we do have our screenwriting workshop coming up february 17th three hours uh writer's tricks screenwriters tricks for breaking into hollywood especially geared toward prose writers who want to have a seat at the table (laughs) because options are great, but checks for writing scripts are even better. So check that out at www.screenwritingwebinar.com. And honey, if if you're ready, I think I'm ready to bring on our guest. Let's bring on our guest. I'm so excited. I mean, this is someone who I will absolutely just call a social media sensation because I feel like we know each other even though we were meeting for the first time in this podcast. But that's the weird thing about social media. When you see glimpses into people's lives and their families and they're on the road and who they're appearing with next month or whatever. So our guest today is Cynthia Palayo. She's a Bram Stoker award-winning and international Latino book award-winning author and poet. How cool. She writes very, yes, this is the second poet we've had on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, Palaya writes fairy tales that blend genre and explore concepts of grief, mourning, and cycles of violence. She is the author of Loteria, Santa Muerte, The Missing, Poems of My Night, Into the Forest, and All the Way Through, Children of Chicago, which I'm reading right now and completely riveted by, and of course, that Bram Stoker award-winning poetry collection, Crime Scene. 
and the novel, The Shoemaker's Magician, which has gotten a lot of notice. And I know everyone's excited about her forthcoming novel, The Forgotten Sisters, which is coming out just a little bit later. And like Children of Chicago has those ring, the ring of the fairy tales and myth. And all the things from this very well-rounded and very scary writer. Please welcome Cynthia Palayo. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. You are. Perfect. Yeah. I'm going to my Miami roots, baby. I know how to say that, eh? It's my it's my husband's name, and so I'm Rodriguez, and so if oh. someone pronounces, I had wanted to write under Rodriguez for a long time, but then I wound up changing my name, and so we went with Palio. But yeah, one of my one of my regrets. I wish I had stuck with Rodriguez, but it's okay. Well, it's, it's never too late. Yeah. Maybe that'll become you know you can start writing under both names and see which name sells better. That's true. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, well, absolutely. Very, very excited to have you just hearing so much good buzz about you. There's a lot of excitement about you. And I guess I I really want to start there with the horror family, as we call ourselves in social media, which I feel like is such a vibrant and giving and supportive community. Would you agree? I mean, what, what has your experience been with your horror family so far? I mean, I am where I am today because of being on social media. As of recent, I mean, it's it's been a little overwhelming to be public. Just yesterday, I was at the coffee shop with my husband. Like, we dropped the kids off at grandma's, and I'm at the coffee shop, and I'm on the phone with my agent. And I, my, my know, I know I'm I talk loud. I'm Puerto Rican, so I'm on, I'm talking loud on the phone. I'm trying not to talk loud. And a woman stops by and starts chatting with my husband, and she points at me and she smiles and she walks away. And then when I got off the phone, my husband's like, she was like, is that Cynthia Palayo? Because my husband loves her books. And I'm like, I'm over here on this loud conversation. I should probably keep things down. So it's become, I'm here because of the horror community, but I'm learning that it's, it's kind of scary too, to be known in, in that kind of, those kinds of places and to be so well known so I'm trying I think right now I'm trying to learn like how do I balance this like I've I've pulled back a little bit just for safety reasons I have small children that are- uh, yeah with your kids I would definitely that was the advice Blair Underwood gave us when he was never photographed with his kids you know yeah, yeah. and my children have disabilities and so they're both on the autism spectrum one of which is nonverbal, and so they're very important to me and so now I'm kind of like, I think I need to be a little bit more careful. So I think a lot of my recent conversations with my agent have been like, okay, it's getting big now, Cynthia. You have to be careful how, where you're at, making sure you're not saying that where you're going before. And, and you know, my, yes, it gets, it's, it's gotten. Yeah. I, That's I another thing that Blair things. would talk about. He would not post on social media when he was going out of the country or when or he was going away from house. home. Yeah. You know, where he was going ahead of time. He might post pictures afterwards, but never never let people know beforehand. And if you're entering into that territory, there are people who've walked that path before you. Be sure that in your circle of advisors, you have people who are at that next level of fame so yeah. that they can help advise you so that you don't unconsciously sabotage your own efforts. You're not you don't attach pain to success. Exactly. And so it's like it, it was exciting 
And so much of it, I mean, all of everything was really public. Like my father died recently and I kind of like, I grieved online with everyone. I was really close to my dad. And so so sorry. Thank you. And so I'm still kind of, I think now with Forgotten Sisters coming out, now it's becoming like, oh, this is big. So I need to learn how to navigate the space. And it's scary. Yeah. It's exciting and scary. It's scary. It's exciting. I'm so happy for you. Sorry about the part of it that is like angst and inducing because I had a moment like that on book tour where I I felt like super vulnerable in retrospect. And I thought, huh, that's probably a good idea for me to have someone with me, you know, when I go to an appearance. Don't just show up by myself in case something goes down, you know, you don't know. Because when people have a strong emotional reaction to you, most of what we see is a strong positive emotional reaction. But the underside of that is someone who's a little too emotional and is having a negative emotional reaction or a fixation, you know, and people, you can't see it because of the podcast. But if you follow uh, Cynthia on social media, you're kind of glam, darling, you know, you look like you could rock, walk on a runway. And on your website, I don't mind saying that because on your website, you literally are in a makeup mirror. <laughs> So I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. And and I think that that helps sort of create even more of sort of a celebrity status and an artist who's also just very, very talented, even if you don't know what you look like. So there is that part. But well, great. Congratulations to you. Take us to the Stoker Awards. That must have been a super exciting moment for you. That That's definitely like top five moments of my life I was guest of honor and that alone was being was huge being guest of honor I I was born in Puerto Rico and I was raised in the in the mainland in Chicago and so being the first Latina was guest of honor and Puerto Rican born guest of honor it was like that alone I was like this is enough this is great and it was my five time being nominated and when they called my name, I just remember just crying. I couldn't get up from my wow. chair. And so my husband had to like stand up, physically pick me up out of my chair and hand me to Becky Spratford. And Becky Spratford then had to get me to the stage. And I think it was that moment of being like, my father had just died. Oh, and I think yeah. it was that moment of being like, I worked so hard and he can't see it. And I was just kind of like, he's not here. He's not like everything, like all my, my love for horror was fostered by my dad. Like, uh, I grew up in the eighties. So I would go, my, my first horror movie was a nightmare on Elm street. My brother was babysitting me and I saw Freddy Krueger extend his arms across that alley. And I was like hooked. Oh and yes. I was obsessed from that moment. And my dad thought it was great. Like he would want, we'd watch like tales from the dark side and Alfred Hitchcock presents. My mom is very Catholic. And she thought there was something wrong with me. She actually had the priest come to the house to talk to me. Oh, my gosh. Not a good thing. And my dad was like, I'm getting her a video card to the neighborhood, not the blockbuster, the neighborhood video store. She could get whatever she wants. And I would go in. My dad would be like, I'm at nine years old watching Hellraiser. I don't Mm. recommend that. But he fostered it. He thought it was so fascinating. And it was because of him that I had that moment. And I was like, he's not here. I'm the first Latina Bram Stoker, we're the first Puerto Rican born, and he got me here, like, weeks he couldn't see it. So that was 
it was really bittersweet. And it's like the honor of my life to say, you know, I have this historic moment. But it yeah, also, but the next day was Father's Day, too. It was like, oh, my God. Oh. But you know what, Cynthia, you know, no matter what you believe about anything or don't believe is he knew because he saw your trajectory. He saw your trajectory, right? He, you'd been nominated five times. He could see he, he's, you were being reviewed in like major publications. He knew. I would think that if he knew that you loved him and honored him, which obviously he would know. And he saw your trajectory so that he knew you were safe. Mm-hmm. That's that's all a parent can do. All we want is for our children to be safe and to love and honor us. And life really doesn't get a lot better than that. And I'm sorry yeah, that and- he's not still here, but he got to see your trajectory. Yes. Yeah, he grew up, you know, my father came from Puerto Rico to Chicago in the 50s and 60s. And he wasn't treated very kindly mm-hmm. uh, because he couldn't speak English and he looked different and he would tell me stories of getting kicked out of places and not the nice things being done to him. And so he always pushed me like to keep going, no matter what people said, no matter what people did. He was like, he would always say, well, people said this about you, but I literally had police officers send their dogs after me during protests. Right. And so he, I think his, it was his hard way of being like, you can overcome this. It's going to be bad. (laughs) He would always tell me, it's going to be bad, but this is what you want. You have to deal with it. So Mm. it's been, it's been hard. (laughs) Did you put, did you take any of his pain and put it into your writing? His history and put it into your writing? It's been hard to write about that. I wrote chapbook for Thunder's thunderstorm books it was like a limited edition and it was called we came from an island and it's three short stories that were kind of like fiction nonfiction about my family i don't know i haven't been in the good in a mental headspace this entire time to be able to write what they've endured but they've they went through a lot i mean Mm -hmm. even my mother coming here a young woman 21 was sent by her parents here and she had to work and she wasn't treated very nicely working in factories. And my parents didn't, my parents each have a sixth grade education. Uh, and so they didn't really read beyond that grade level. And so they worked in factories. My dad was a carpenter. Uh, I was the first person in my family to step foot in a college classroom. So it wasn't, it was like, you're going to either work in a factory with your mother or you're going to do something nobody's ever done. In, mm. our, in our family and so you decide and it was terrifying it's terrifying it's and there was I wasn't like I wasn't the good kid in school I was very rebellious I grew up in inner city Chicago and so I was suspended I think like 10 times I didn't say this, but I'm oh wow <laughs> I was suspended 10 times in high school because I think I was so mad I was so mad at the things that I saw the inequalities that I saw friends getting kicked out for silly reasons that they shouldn't even have been kicked out. And so I was just very angry and I would talk back a lot and I would question things. So I wasn't like, I was a rebellious poet and writer, but it was hard. I think because I knew, I I mean, I went to, it was like 98% um, black and Hispanic, like 90% low income or poverty line at my school. And so 
I didn't see beyond my immediate condition, but I, my father was always like, you have to do more. <laughs> and I'm like, how dad, how do I get out of this? And I still live in the same neighborhood I grew up in. That wow. was, I refused to leave. That was part of, I went to, so I got my undergrad at Columbia. I got a master's, I got an MFA and I'm working on my doctorate. Yo, and, girl. and I was like, I refuse to leave this neighborhood. This is the neighborhood that supported me. And I want the kids from this neighborhood to see you don't have to leave to do something great. You can stay here and support your community. And and I do. I, I, I'm always in the neighborhood. The kids, I, I speak at my high school that I grew up in. It's like down the block. And so it was important for me to be like, you can do this if you want to. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. But at that, at that high school, I'm just thinking you have parents with a sixth grade education. They have big dreams, but they don't have the map. Was there someone at the school who saw who you could be or just convinced you or told you how to apply to college or even believed you should apply to college. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had some great teachers that told me how to do things. One of them is, has long passed Mrs. Grenage and she really got me into poetry. It was because of her reciting a lot of Langston Hughes. And I mean, she was, she put me she helped me on my path and then my father knew I had to apply to college he's like I don't know how you do this and so he took me to like it was like a nonprofit in our community called a speed that help would help inner city like Latino youth apply like we didn't even know what financial aid was we're just like what do you do we have no money like right. I just I have no money how can she go to college and so I was rebellious and angry, but I could do the work. And I mm -hmm. wanted to do it with like honors. My master's was a, a 4.0. My PhD classes had been a 4.0. So it wasn't that I wasn't smart. It was that I was mad. <laughs> it was I was mad and I needed to get out. And I think a lot of it was realizing this is, it's got to, it's going to be hard. And you just have to do the work. And a lot of not nice things are going to be said to you or done to you. And they never are when you're the first one to do something. And I think that's what is happening now with the stalker. It's like nothing's ever easy when you're the first one to do something. It's scary. 
I, honey, I don't want to monopolize because I'm just brimming with questions. Do you mind if I jump in with? with oh, please go right ahead. Okay, because I'm. I, you talk about anger, and when we brought up the book Children of Chicago, you call that your angry book. I'm wondering what the relationship is between those high school years, between your upbringing in Chicago, which is a big character, obviously, in your book. It's in the title. How did that feed your writing? And and was there violence around you that also fed your your interest in violent and dark storytelling? So I, I went to an inner city high school. And so gangs, guns, drugs were on the periphery. I was involved very heavily in ROTC. That that was like mm. That was where my uh, I came from a military family. And so my parents were like, you're going to be in the RLTC hall all the time. That's where you're going to be. They're going to keep you safe. There's always going to be stuff in the school. You have to recognize that. And so there was always a lot of fights, a lot of gang fights, a lot of not nice things. I've, seen, I've had friends killed. I've had friends kill. I've seen a lot in, mm-hmm. in Chicago. And so I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know what I wanted to do particularly, but my father knew journalism. He knew reporters. Like, well, you're going to be a reporter. You're going to be a community reporter. And so I got my undergrad in print journalism, which I don't know, do they even teach print journalism? I mean, but listen, so did I, first of all. Medill, School of Journalism right yes. there in Evanston. So we were kind of sisters, sort of. But uh, yeah, that used to be a real career, kids. And it's so sad yeah. in the wake of news of layoffs, the Washington Post, the LA Times, like the ones that you thought were bulletproof or just, you know, really shrinking compared to the size and, and influence they had back in our day. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wrote for community newspapers while I was in undergrad and while I was getting my master's because I was like, well, journalism doesn't pay that much. So I'm going to do a master's in, in marketing research and I'll do like a day job in PR and marketing. And I would cover the arts, entertainment and then crime. And so it was, it was enough, it got, it got to be so much for us. Like, I can't, I can't cover another kid that got killed. I just cannot see another kid dead in the street. And it was overwhelming. And I think that's where Children of Chicago came from. It is my angry book and it is, I mean, a lot of people don't like it and it's not a fun read because the whole point I felt of that novel was that the people that are in positions of power aren't the ones that will protect you. And so uh, unfortunately for me, Children of Chicago was released right around the time of the the George Floyd Mm. court cases. And so when the book came out, people saw the novel as being pro-law enforcement. And I'm like, no, I'm like, Uh, that's not what I'm saying with the book at all. What I'm saying is We have to question people in positions of authority. And so it was, it was just, it was just bad timing with publishing. And so I had to leave social media for a time because, really, yeah, because people thought it was a pro law enforcement when in fact, I, the officer in that book does not do very nice things to youth. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I wrote in that character was things that I had seen, things that I had experienced. And it was the tragedy of children killing children. Like that's what that's what happens here. It's like, sure, these are children. What are we doing as adults that children feel that they have nowhere else, 
nothing else to do but hurt and harm one another. And so I love Chicago. I love the city. And of course, we there are issues with, with violence, particularly with children. And it's it's heartbreaking. And I, I, I don't have all the answers. I wish I had the answers, but I feel like mentors are what got me here. And I think mentors are that reason why I stay here to so that the children can see like, you know, Cynthia's here. She's not leaving us. I'm not leaving one. I think that I'm ready to say something too. Yes, I know. So one of the principles that we teach is that anger is a mask over fear. Anytime you see somebody that is angry, you look underneath it and you will find something they're afraid of happening to themselves or someone they identify with. That anger then is how you mobilize that emotion so that you don't, you're not paralyzed by it. So you saw a lot of bad, you've said many times, bad things happen, bad things happen, bad things happen. That is a threat to you, your Mm -hmm. family, your children, people that you care about, the community that you love. That is a lot of fear. That generated a lot of anger because anger is a healthy response to fear if the other response is paralysis or tearing yourself apart. It's better to be angry at people outside you than to fall into the thing that often happens, which is people think, I must deserve what's happening to me. You saw the inequities, the very people who are supposed to protect often were the ones who threatened. How do you deal with that? How do you make sense of that world? So it suggests to me an engine that could easily have informed any number of characters, any number of situations, trying to work your way through it. That question, how do we do this? Why do the adults not take these actions? You're asking why. What is it that we are, that these situations occur, and what is the world such that these things can happen within it without the universe collapsing or exploding? How does this happen? So I I just wanted to say and make it clear for the audience of a perspective, a potential perspective on what powers your work. Because if you are, your conversation here with us, you are being a role model of a Latina woman who is expressing herself honoring her family, raising her family, creating work that is getting attention that people are coming to. That means you're satisfying something inside them. You're engaging them in some way. And how you transmuted negative emotion into positive action is one of, it's, it's, a, it's a miraculous thing. When, art, when artists can do that, they're doing the work that they really need to be doing. So I just, I just wanted to kind of lay that out there. Thank you. Thank you for saying it that. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's like you alchemize it, right? Like, yes. Yes. That's the artistic alchemy. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I think, and that's what I did with children of Chicago. And like I said, it's my angry book and my other novels haven't been so angry. I think they like the shoemaker's magician. I think, I think I'm going into a place that's a little quieter and introspective. I like, writing about the history of violence and cycles of violence and how we can't move on because we're still not processing all this old stuff that we're holding on to. Absolutely. That's I'm hoping, I hope, I think if if anything, that's what what people take away from my writing. Like I'm trying to add, make a conversation here with the reader about 
this, you know, and how can, how can we be kinder to one another? You must be succeeding or you would not be blowing up on social media and you would not have won your Bram Stoker. So you're heading in the right direction. Whatever it is that you will do to honor your, your ancestors, you know, honor your father, your love for your father very clearly states, you know where you came from. You have not forgotten the face of your father, as Stephen King would say. You're doing the work. And what more can we do as human beings but do the work that's placed before us? Yeah. Yeah. Dalai yeah. Lama said the meaning of life is to be joyful and of service. So I see you smile a lot. So you you found joy in your life in the midst of challenges, and you are very committed to serving. So I, yeah. I, honor, I honor you. Thank you and, so much. And like we we mentioned, this podcast deals a lot with balance. You know that work, art, life. There's writing. There's authoring, which is very different from writing. And there's parenting. And you're doing all of these things. And you're in a in a relationship with your husband. So you're you're a wife. You're a mother. You're an author. And you're a writer. And you're probably other things I don't even know about. So what are what are your keys to balance in all of this? I accept my happy chaos. Like I don't have a strict routine. Beyond, I mean, I have a day job. Like I work full time, <laughs> so I, I. Oh, okay. So I, I work full time from home. I do like sales and marketing still and research, which is nice that I can work remote because I I do have small children that I need to shuffle back and forth. So my day is pretty hectic. Like I wake up in the morning. I I right away I have work calls that are in the morning, and then I shuffle a kid off to school. I come home. I do work. I get a kid back from school somehow. I somehow eat. And then because of my, and this is all because of my husband, Gerardo. Like it, he is another reason why I'm where I'm at. Like I will be in my office writing for hours at night and he does the bedtime with the kid. Like they come in here to say goodnight to me if I'm on deadline. The balance is because of him. I, I mm. don't, I don't know how this could have happened without him and his support. Like he sacrificed his life for me because he doesn't have hobbies. He has the kids and the house and all of the stuff in the house to take care of that. He knows Cynthia's writing a book, Cynthia's doing a podcast. And so that was massive that he took that on. And we've been together, my husband and I have been together. So since we were friends since high school, so we knew each other since we were 14. And then dating at like 19, 20, we've been married 21 years. And so that also growing up in inner city Chicago, like he was my friend. We were my, he's my best friend. And so having him as the support, as we were both navigating this life and the neighborhood that we both grew up in. And we both had, we both were the first ones in our family to graduate from college. So we were both kind of like, we're going to do this together. We're going to figure it out. So having that support has been massive. Beautiful. I love it. There's nothing like finding the right partner. Yeah. True. There's there's nothing like it at all. And I'm so happy for you. Thank yeah. You. Not everybody has that. Yeah, maybe one day you'll find that, T. You know, I keep hoping. <laughs> <laughs> it's and it's growing together. I yes. Think, I think it's a lot of like, because you're never gonna be the same person. And I mean, we've gone. It was hard on him, this social media stuff. And he's just like, you're, you belong to them now. And how do I, it took, I mean, it was 
a lot for him to 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 process this it's like yeah. well you're getting calls from the air you're over here you're going to be traveling here and he's like what about me and so mm-hmm. i'm trying to incorporate him more and just because we were talking about earlier how things get weird he now accompanies me to events just to, for multiple reasons for safety and so that we can do this together so but it's that's very real and being sure that you know, when Tanana and I got together, we knew we wanted to collaborate. But the following statement deals not just with collaboration, but with the vicissitudes of of life and the way the outside world sees us or sees her or sees me. We had to come to a decision that <clears throat> the relationship itself was always more important than the career. That if we had, to, we would do everything to keep from having to make a choice. But if we were going to be able to collaborate, that means we had to be able to fight fairly with each other. Because if you're working on a piece of work just by yourself, you're arguing with yourself about it. So between two different people, they're going to be arguments and they need to be uh, spirited at times. But we also have the fear of loss, you know, and it'd be very easy for someone to subtly withdraw affection, you know, or subtly make little, you know, I... Or just just be really extra sweet when you agree with them. They don't have to be nasty when you disagree with them. There's still operant conditioning that can go on in a transactional relationship. So we had to make a commitment that that the relationship is first, mm-hmm. that we would never go to bed mad, that we always heal what there is there, and that we know ahead of time it's going to be challenging. And, and no couple navigates this territory without damage and without, without taking shock. So to, for you to understand and for him to be able to communicate with you, honestly, the things that he's talking about are very real. Yeah. And I I'm, think it's, I'm, it's I'm glad you're dealing with it. So great. What you said about including him more, because this is a conversation that I, I have with, you know, powerful women in my circle, you know, we, we struggle at times with relationships because of the kind of status and success that were genders reversed would make men more attractive. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think the fact that he's known you for so long, that you were literally best friends from the time you were 14, which is amazing, means that he gets it at the deepest level, how far you've come how much you've been able to even surpass your dreams. And he loves that, you know, as your best friend, the part of him that's still that 14 year old best friend loves that. And as long as you remember, uh, yeah, that he, you know, the part of him that is asking at times, what about me? I think you'll be great. Yeah. And I think we had to have that serious conversation. We had it recently, maybe like last year where it was like, what comes first? He was like, what comes first, Cynthia? He's like, is it the writing or is it us? You have to make that decision. And I was like, it's you. It's you and the boys. You and the boys. This stuff wouldn't feel so good if you and the boys weren't here. And so I'm like, I need you and I need the boys. And he was like, okay, you're saying that. Just remember, don't get so lost in the stuff that you forget about me and the boys. And I was like, and I think that kind of collective was like, okay, don't get lost. Because <laughs> you could get lost in this stuff. Of course. Yeah. And so, yeah. Do you have any secrets for not getting lost? <laughs> remember your support system and what they've done for you. And like, and they're so healing. And so I think finding, I mean, people heal people. And I think community 
can be healing and your partners can be healing and good friendships can be healing because you need that kind of like mental refresher every now and again because we're working so much but you still need to add humanity to your work how do you add humanity to your work if you're not engaging with your your people right and so i think it's remembering that remembering to not get lost in the stuff because there's a lot of stuff to get lost in and it as someone that doesn't know this world and has like i said parents with the sixth grade education i'm like i don't know how to navigate this type of big kid stuff mm-hmm. i'm just being me and i think it's also learning a lot of lessons were you know learning to make sure you have people that protect you like I'm grateful for my literary agent. I'm grateful for some good advisors that I have because it's it's it does get weird and sticky the more attention one gets. And I didn't ever factor that aspect into this. I just thought, oh my God, I'm going to create art and we're going to talk art and do art and be happy all day. But then there's, I'm sure you know, there's weird stuff that pops up that it's like you have to be careful. Yeah, writers don't get recognized on the street as often as actors do, but it does happen from time to time, you know, and it is, it's weird to be public, especially because as writers, I don't know about you, you seem more like an extrovert, but but I am totally an introvert and I can be in joy when I'm around people, but I feel the price later, I guess would be the way to put it. So I, I dread almost everything I do publicly before I go. <laughs> While I'm there, I have an amazing time, but then afterward, it's like I can feel that that energy drain. Yeah, you're coming, you're coming down, and so I am really into positive psychology and like manifestation. I'm into all this stuff, but one of the things that one of the things that's helped me is just like you know taking a deep breath before you're going into the space and just kind of reminding yourself like I'm going into the space and I am safe and I always kind of I always kind of do that like I'm safe I'm protected I'm safe and then when I'm exiting those spaces reminding myself but there is this energy drain that one feels and I do a lot of journaling in the morning like I'll wake up and that's the first thing I do I journal I write down things I'm grateful for I try to get all this stuff out of my head so that when I do work it's it's clear but just the reminder that you're safe and you're okay has been helpful for me. You're speaking you know, the our trick, language. The, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I wanted to make a comment on is that one of the one of the, the best program for enhancing executive function I know of asks you the first thing every morning, you you dump out everything in your head that has to do with what you can remember that you have to do that day. You're taking it into more of the artist's journey, which is you dump out all of all of your feelings and, and impressions and thoughts and so forth. I think that combining those two things together, because everyone needs to be artistic. You know, art the, the art is just problem solving in that sense. You know, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I correct this? How do I answer this? And that's the same tool we use to create our lives. I mean, the, the, the thrust of the sort of the, the life writing approach is to live as if you were a character in a story you were writing. So that you take a meta position on your life and you can kind of see by the rhythms of story, well, I'm on the road of trials. I'm, I'm, hitting, I'm entering into the dark night of the soul. I'm this, I'm that. We, we understand these things. 
But what you're talking about in terms of dumping it all out every morning, it's, I remember one artist talking about how every day they dump out everything that's in their hearts and then they sort through it. You know, this is the little pile of, of their talent, you know, of their, and they sort through it to see what they can build out of it that day. And, and what you just said is along that line, it's, it's jump starting your day by trusting that your mind over the course of the evening has been rearranging your life and the things in your life. And then when you dump it out in the morning, instead of it being behind your eyes, it's now in front of your eyes. You can look at it. It's like, oh, I can take this and I can take this little piece and I can just take one more step today. So what you're talking about there sounds to me like when you talk about taking care of your support system, and taking care of yourself and the kinds of questions that you're asking sounds to me like you're going to have a long career. I hope so. I yeah, really it sounds healthy. Good. This stuff I sounds think, healthy, huh? I'm hearing good buzz about your your upcoming novel. What's your new book about? And when does it come out? Let's plug it. Forgotten. My took my husband like give me a copy because <laughs> Forgotten Sisters. It's out March 19th from Thomas and Mercer. It's an adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid that takes place in Chicago. And it follows two sisters that live in a historic bungalow on the Chicago River. But they start noticing the house is haunted because we need a haunted house. And then, of course. And they start noticing well, this is a thing that is happening in Chicago. There's a lot of college age men that are found drowned in the Chicago waterways. And they start noticing a lot of bodies and detectives soon come calling because they figure there's something connecting the house to these murders. And it also deals with the historic event that if I kind of give it away, then it would give away the... No, don't give it away. No, 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 give away nothing. No spoilers here. But I love that. So that's Forgotten Sisters. And I just turned in my next book. Two weeks ago, and I'm just hitting refresh every two seconds to see what my editor says. Oh, that's I, I awful. Have... What do you do? How do you handle the period between the time you submit something and the time you hear what they think of it? How do you handle that? Right now, I thankfully, I have a few things to keep occupied with. So I have a few blurbs that I need to do for some, like three books. And then I have an essay or, yeah, like a nonfiction essay that I'm working on for Gamut on the horrors of the Little Prince, mm. that short story, the, the, the kids book. So yes. I I love fairy tales. And I guess I didn't tell you why I love fairy tales. So since my parents couldn't really read, they would recite to me the fairy tales they remember as children that were told oh. to them. And so... Like, then we would go to, like, Aldi. That's what my dad could afford, like, the dollar, like, little golden books so that they would have them in a bin. And so he would buy me the little golden books. And so that's why fairy tales mean so much to me. Because those are the only stories he could remember. And he would try to read the little golden books to me, but he wasn't always able to pronounce all the words. And so that's, that's between that, detective fiction, horror fiction. I mean, that's kind of what I blend and mix and mix. That's what makes me happy. I love that. And also that the fairy tales and, and the ring of myth, that's something that, that Nala Hopkinson does very effectively in, in her writing. And she's very, you know, she's doing all right. So <laughs> that sounds like it's a great combination. And also because of the, I for me anyway, that inner child in me is attracted to those kinds of stories. And 
I like being scared both as the adult reader and as the child reader, I guess is the way I would put it. <laughs> like the, the inner child reader. Your inner child. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. There's that familiarity that you're kind of comforted because you know, those themes, but then when they're flipped on you, then that's when the adult gets activated. Like, wait, what's going on here? Exactly. <laughs> so it's a twofer. Well, like I said, I'm really, really enjoying children of Chicago and just so excited to finally meet you. Your story is, is fascinating. Your enthusiasm is as, huge in the interview as it is in your social media presence. So I think you actually capture your persona very well on social media. Some people are very different in their social media than they are when you talk to them. And and you actually seem like the same person in both. I'm kind of filter free. It gets me in trouble a lot, (laughs) but I just, I just don't know how to be any other way. So I I mean, I'm pretty, this is me (laughs) pretty filter free. Yeah. Good for you. Well, I don't know if I, uh, if there's anything else, except I'm just mildly curious about whether uh, you've had options on your work. Have you been tempted to take up screenwriting yourself? I'm taking your screenwriting class. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I'm registered for it. Children of Chicago was optioned by Zucker Productions. And oh my God, I forgot. Zucker? Airplane Janet, Janet, Janet Zucker? Janet Zucker. I wonder. Yeah. Not Zucker so, Abraham Zucker, maybe. She did. She did like my best friend's wedding. And so okay. another, another, okay. another Chicago film. But so Children of Chicago is optioned. I don't know what's going to happen with the other ones. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this stuff works. But we'll see. I mean, I think. I think right now. I mean, I'm taking your screenwriting class just because I feel like it'll be really another great tool as a prose writer. I think. Prose writers should take screenwriting, and I just haven't ever had the chance to do more. But I worked with a lot oh, of they, prose writers should absolutely take yeah. screenwriting class. In yeah. fact, they should take our screenwriting class. It's <laughs> coming up on the seventeenth of February. That you can find out more about it: www.screenwritingwebinar.com. And that aside, <laughs> as important as that is, but that aside, I totally agree with you, Cynthia, because even if I didn't have the patience to deal with Hollywood, and I know not everybody does, it is not for everybody for sure. The actual skills, though, in as a prose writer coming into screenwriting and the emphasis on visual storytelling and dialogue, too, but, but visual storytelling primarily, I find is very, very helpful in my prose writing. Even if I never wanted to work in Hollywood, but but the advantage to be able to even write a basic script that someone could buy, even expecting to assign it to someone else for a rewrite, you still get paid. You still get paid for that initial sale. And the better a screenwriter you are, the the more drafts you can write beyond that first draft. So I, I'm so excited that you're taking the class and I know Hollywood will come calling again. And, you know, who knows? Next time you might have that new weapon in your arsenal. So you're not just optioning it, but you're attached yeah, <laughs> as a writer. Yeah, that would, be, that would mean, be great. But yeah, I, I've heard great things about being able to. I mean, I've worked with playwrights a lot. And like in grad school, I worked with playwrights. And so that helps my writing tremendously. And I'm like, I need to do more. I think, And I feel like that's important as a writer. I think we always need to do more, learn more, read beyond our genre, listen to how people talk, listen to how people, or watch how people interact with one another. I I have aphantasia, 
So I don't have a visual memory. So if you mm. tell me to imagine, like picture an apple, I don't see it and I don't see anything. It's like, I, it's just black. Like, it's just, there's nothing there. And there's like a scale, like it, you can Google like the aphantasia scale. And then people that are at the far end of the spectrum, if you tell them picture an apple at this end, they could see the apple at this end, there's like nothing there. Uh, But you're such a visual writer. I would never have guessed that. I I always, this is always an interesting thing for me. If I asked you to describe your car, how would you do it? By feeling, like the feel, like I would feel, like I could feel it. And so with the visuals, I, I, when I'm writing, I have a ton of like pictures up. And so it takes me, I'll write out the draft like really quickly, but when it starts getting into visuals, I would have to like pull up pictures on like Pinterest or like Google Earth. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I would have to start writing because I don't have, and then the funny thing is my husband has a Fantasia too. And we both what? just thought this was normal. We didn't know this was a thing until like years, like years into like our marriage that only like one or 2% of the population have this condition what? yeah it's really strange wow uh, it's very strange yeah and so we just always I always thought when teachers would tell you oh a picture an apple or imagine this and then draw it I didn't really know people could see it in their mind's eye so they don't, I don't see it, they don't eye. see it really clearly it's not yeah. it, you know only there are a few super geniuses like Tesla could apparently visualize something and it actually looked like the thing in his mind most people it's just kind of a foggy you know um, outline goes in and out but you're saying you see nothing at all nothing yeah. that's interesting but that is enough. just another amazing thing that you have worked around in your quest to to do all the things and and get all the prizes so good for you and just have, you know like, your... screenwriting will hopefully help me to learn how to like drop in like hints and yeah, but it, it takes it takes me a long time to do the descript the visual description will take me a long time. Well, some of the best writers write add details here in all caps in their manuscripts, and I'm talking about me because <laughs> because details actually do bore me. So I will write past them all the time, and you know, in fact, the reformatory was full of yeah. me staring at photographs, and you know, like this, it's so visual. That's because photographs, yes. There were a lot of photographs of that place, but I feel you on that, and I'm so impressed. Well, thank. Yeah. Oh my God, Cynthia, how can we find you? We meaning the audience. Where Where are your favorite socials? Uh, I mean, I'm on like all the socials, but cnapalayo.com is my website. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Blue Sky and Threads and Instagram. So, yes, so all I think it's not too. We're like on every. Like it's just kind of. I don't know. It's. Nuts. it's 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 a lot and i'm try, trying to learn what is the best place to keep i think right now there's no happy place i don't think there's no. any one place right now so it's a there lot there isn't I, I am with you on that i i feel like yeah we could talk about that's a whole sidebar but we just yeah. have to do it all until one emerges as the winner <laughs> yeah but anyway well, just, just needs to be a certain amount of flexibility in that, you know, different people, different interests, different generations, different, you know, groups use different, different platforms. And so you spread yourself out and see what the results are. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to our guest, Cynthia Palayo, wishing you so much success for your future. Audience, if you're not inspired, I don't know what will inspire you. So go on now and make yourself the hero or heroine in your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.